We are wrapping up a series today called The Word to the Wise. We've been working through the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs. I heard a story a few years ago. I saw on the news that popped up on my news feed. Um, and it was a story of a child um, that had drowned, um, had gone swimming and inhaled a lot of water and, and drowned and, and passed away. It was on the front page of the news, not because a child drowned, but because of the way they drowned it. The medical experts called it dry drowning. The child had gone swimming, had been in the water, inhaled a, a large amount of water, and somehow choked it all out and was okay. Went home that night, went to bed, and it was about 48 hours later they say the child died, and they called it dry drowning or delayed drowning. There's all kinds of debate with the medical community of was there a pre-existing condition or something that led to this. But it, it fascinated me and, and it just kind of captivated my mind to think that someone could go through something like that, come out thinking everything is okay, and then days later, die from the very thing they thought they made it through. I wonder how many of us are in that state constantly. Suffocating. Wasting away because something that happened in our past. Something that we made it through when we thought was over and done with and moving on. And yet still here we are gasping for air. Because of something that happened in our past. And we live in a, a world where I think so many people are gasping for air. Maybe financially maybe relationally, maybe, maybe struggling to forgive someone who did something to them that hurt them, a relationship that ended, a friend that betrayed them. And there you are in that moment gasping for air, feeling like you're suffocating. But yet you're on the other side of this traumatic event. I wonder how many people in this room come here this morning with that darkness and despair hanging over your head. And that darkness that, and despair that says that, that tomorrow is just simply going to be a repeat of today. That everything I'm experiencing today, the darkness, the fear, the hurt, the pain, when I wake up tomorrow, it's going to be there just like it is is today. And what a dreadful existence that is. Have you ever felt that way? Where it feels like that darkness is hovering over you and there is a weight on your shoulders that you just want to somehow just shrug off and get rid of and be free from, and you feel like everything you do 
does nothing to it. But what if stepping out of that darkness and despair and into freedom had nothing to do with your circumstances, your situation, your relationships, but it simply came back to the idea of wisdom. Because that's what wisdom in this proverb, wisdom tradition, talks about. How we live and how we do life in this world. How do we live as the people of God in a way that makes sense? And the wisdom tradition, this ancient word, hokmah, is this idea that woven into the fabric of creation is this wisdom to do right and good and justice to people and to this world. And it's available to everyone. It's there calling out, crying out to you, begging you to come eat at Lady Wisdom's table. And the question then is, will you hear her call? Will you answer and will you come to the table? And here's what I know is over time, your ability or inability to make wise decisions will directly affect the trajectory of your life. And so many people sit here and can say, yes, amen, because you have lived it or someone close to you has lived it. And you've seen over time this consistent inability to make wise choices constantly come up over and over again until you find yourself in this place of despair, in this place of hopelessness, thinking and knowing that tomorrow is going to be a repeat of today. And there are two main characters in this book. There's Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And Wisdom and Folly are both personified as these ladies that are there, they're available to everyone, they're calling out into the street, come, feast at my table. And in chapter 9, it begins like this, Wisdom has built her house, and she has set up its seven pillars. What does the number seven represent in Hebrew? It's the number of completion. She has set up her seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine, and she has also set her table. And she has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest points of the city, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live, walk in the way of insight. And so it, it paints this picture of this dining room and this table with these chairs pulled up around it. And there's this regalness, this royalty to her. And she's calling out, inviting everyone to come to this table. And you walk into this house and there's this beautiful setting of place, placemats and table and 
plates and cups, and there's this incredible food set on the plates. And there's this wine in the glasses. And the invitation has come to my table. Sit and eat and drink deeply of wisdom. And the invitation goes out, it says, to those who are simple. And the word in Hebrew is petty. And it means um, this naive person. But literally it means one who is easily seduced. So you have this, this one walking through the streets who's easily seduced, who gives in to any thought, any inclination they have, and they want to go and they want to sit at the table, and the invitation goes to them, come. Come sit at my table and eat my food and drink my wine, and you will live. And that is the invitation to the simple. But it goes on, down in verse 13. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple, and she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, on the seat of the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their ways, let all who are simple Come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, and that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. I want you to notice something. The invitation goes out to the simple. Just like Lady Wisdom calls aloud and prepares her table, so does Lady Folly. The invitation is to the simple, and she prepares her table, and she fixes her wine, and she makes it available to everyone. And she goes and calls and says, come. Come to my table and eat. Come to my table and find life. The invitations of both promise the same thing. And what you have in Proverbs is this contrast of life and death. And for us, life and death are simply present realities. It's the where you are in that moment, right? You've been to a funeral. You never have a question of who you're there to honor, right? It's the one in the casket up front laying down who can't move and is not breathing. That, there, there's no question. But Proverbs doesn't talk about life and death as these present realities. Whether you're alive or dead, whether you're breathing, whether you can talk and speak, but it's how you live in each and every moment of the day. It's not a present reality. It's all the time. 
And one thing you'll notice, and you've probably seen this in your life, it's possible to be physically decaying and pain and close to death and yet be full of life. But the opposite is true also. It's possible to be healthy and wealthy and think you have everything and inside be wasting away and have that feeling of suffocation, of I can't breathe because of all the weight and everything I'm dealing with. I don't know how I will make it through the day. And that anxiety starts to build in your stomach and those thoughts start to run through your head and all of a sudden you feel as though you are a slave held captive and can't escape. And to think the whole time the invitation is there to step out of that into life. And yet somehow the seduction of death seems more intriguing and more appealing. We, we, we live in a world, and this is nothing new. You can trace this all the way back to Aristotle in 350 B.C. But we live in a world that tells you, just follow your feelings. They are truth. Whatever you're feeling, just do it. And in that world that tells you, just follow your feelings, it even goes so far as to say, well, if you don't, follow your feelings. You're not being true to yourself. You're not being who you really are. Just follow your feelings. Whatever you're feeling, just do it. Just go for it. It's fine. Can, can we just agree how absurd that is? Just, just follow your feelings. Whatever you're feeling, just do it. Not even from a biblical perspective, just from a society standpoint. It's absurd. Everything in the fabric of our created world falls apart. I'll just spend the money. It's fine. It's fine. You got a credit card. We got, a, we got one the other day called Chase Freedom. I mean, because that's what the Chase card does for most people, right? It creates freedom. Just, just whatever you want to do, just do it. Just, if you want to buy it, go buy it. If you want to have sex with someone outside of your marriage, just have sex. It's fine. If you want to look at something on the internet, it's fine. If you want to have a relationship with someone, that just, it, just do it. It's okay. You want to eat that, just, just eat it. You want to haul off and hit someone because they said something, just do it. You want to drive however fast? It's the Audubon. Just go for it. Whatever you want to do. It's Broadway. 95 is okay. It works. Do, okay, just, just logically, rationally, 
do we understand how stupid that sounds? But yet, that, that is the invitation of folly. Come on. It's perfectly fine. Look at all you can buy with the credit card. It's amazing. Come sit down. If you just keep eating, just it, you get to enjoy it. It's such good food. You don't have to forgive them. It's no big deal. It'll go away eventually. You don't have to make that relationship right. It's okay. Come on, sit at my table. This is amazing. It's going to be great. Do, do we understand? Do we understand how crazy that sounds? Just from a logical standpoint, it is rational people. And yet, when you look at the word and what it describes life like, it's not this narrow, suffocating world. Psalms describes it over and over as wide and narrow, expansive and confining. And God says, I, I want you to enter into this wide open. When he promises them the promised land, I'm going to give you this good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And here's the thing. Folly's invitation leads you into this place that is confining and restricting and has the promise of freedom. Whatever you want to do, it's okay. Just do it. All right. But when you get there, there's a problem. We, we, we think so many times that this is going to bring life. This is going to bring happiness. This is going to bring healing. This is going to bring freedom. But, but I, I, I love the way it sets this up. Because it talks about this banquet. And this table that's set, and this food that's available, and you come and you sit down. And there's this invitation from folly. And you sit down at this table, and you start eating, and you think, man, the food is amazing, and the wine is unbelievable this but but did you did you listen to the end of how proverbs 9 ends but little do they know that the dead are there and that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead and you just picture this this banquet and everyone's eating, and everyone's happy, and everyone's... And then you realize that the light is entirely focused on you, and your plate, and what's happening right in front of you. And then I just, I imagine this candle getting turned on, that, that, 
lights up the rest of the table, and you start looking at the people who are sitting next to you, and it's like, well, what's a, that's a corpse. That, that everyone at this table is dead. And, and the thing is, you don't realize it until that despair and the darkness is already set in. Have you, have you wondered how it is that we live in the wealthiest country in the world? I, I would say in the history of the world. And yet we have more suicide attempts and depression and mental illness than ever before. My guess is, and I'm not, I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist, my, my guess is there's a correlation there. My, my guess is those are woven together somehow. So what are the signs? What, what, what is it that we watch for to say, okay, well, <laughs> I, I just looked up at the table and everyone around me is dead. I think one of the ways is we just do whatever we want, whenever we want. I, and I know what you're thinking is, yeah, those people. Can we be real honest? My guess is, in looking at all those people, there are some things in your life that aren't right as well. Some places where you don't have self-control. Places where you have an addiction. Places where anger gets the best of you. And it's real easy to look and say, well, all those people here are dead. You might look back at the table. Because it is the table that you're sitting at as well. I think, too, is this numbness we feel. And I think our world does this to us in a really dangerous way today. I saw a psychologist write about this, and they talked about compassion fatigue. Do you remember the very first time you heard about Columbine? Or something like the, the shuttle that exploded? Like, you, you saw those moments, and you're watching them on TV as they unfold, and, and you're deeply hurt and moved by it. And now, we're so used to it and so desensitized to it that it doesn't even seem to bother us. You see another school shooting and it's like, well, there's another one. And my guess is it doesn't affect you in the same way that it once did. I think we've got to get good at looking within. Looking into that heart that Proverbs talks about, that we need to guard, that we need to protect. Because everything you do flows from it. And I think there's a lot of different ways that we fail to protect our heart. And I think the other sign is we live a double life. We, we live one way around this group of people in an entirely different way around everyone else. 
or we just find ourselves going through the motion. And I wonder if, if it's not just signs and symptoms of dry drowning, delayed drowning. This event that we went through years and years ago that we never dealt with, we never forgave, we never moved on from. And we hold on to it because it's my story. And it's not until we look up that we realize everyone seated around us is deep in the realm of the dead. Um, several years ago, um, I guess about seven years ago now, a group of friends of mine, um, one was turning 50, went on a backpacking trip across the Continental Divide. And one of the younger guys who was in my youth group, he was about 21 at the time, I think, um, we decided to go for a little hike. And we wanted to get our picture made up on this mountain because our high camp was kind of in this bowl. And so we wanted to go right up to the edge of tree line and get our picture taken. And we got right there, and we got our picture taken, and we were looking at it on our digital cameras and, and, um, or our, our phones, I guess, at that point. Um, and we're saying, oh, look, there's, there's the peak is right behind us, right up here at the top. Let's, let's go up there and get our picture there. And we kind of walked away and around and did some hand-over-hand climbing and get up to this peak. And we get there and we realize, well, that wasn't really the peak either. The peak is, is right above us. And so we decide, well, we want to get our picture up there. And so we start hiking again and we get up to this, this top point and there's still another peak. And we do it again. All of a sudden, it's been two and a half hours of hiking in the sun, and we had no water. And we had come so far, but we kept seeing the peak. And we knew if we could just get there, then it was going to be, then you have this incredible view, and you can see all around you in every direction. We've got to get up there. And by the time we finally made it to the top, it had been three and a half hours of hiking with no water. And the easiest way home was back around this rim and back down through this canyon. And we thought, well, thankfully along the way, we ran into some ladies that said, well, that wasn't smart. Have some water. And we got a little bit of water, and we made our way back into camp. I wonder, like, how many of us live life like that? No, just one more, one more purchase on credit. It'll be okay. One more meal. One more time with this person. One more relationship. One more click of the mouse. One more 70-hour week at work. It, it'll be okay. I wonder, is that just us sitting back down at this table? And the realization that what we've set down in, what we've committed to, is not life, but death. And we feel weighed down, 
and burdened, like we're suffocating, and all we want to do is get up from this table and go to the other table we were invited to. And I think part of it stems from the very thing we don't want to do. To push back from those feelings, to, to stop trusting that your heart is going to guide you where you need to go, and answer the call of wisdom, and forgive, and stop spending, and stop doing all these things that we think are going to bring life, but they constantly bring us back to death. We read this passage just a little bit ago, John read for us, and Eugene Peterson in the message, in his paraphrase version, says it in a, just a beautifully poetic way. I want you to listen to this. Well, now is the right time to listen. It's the day to be helped. Don't put it off. Don't frustrate God's work by showing up late, throwing a question mark over everything we're doing. Our work as God's servants gets validated or not in the details. People are watching us as we stay at our post alertly and unswervingly. In hard times, tough times, bad times. When we're beaten up, jailed, and mobbed, working hard, working late, working without eating, with pure heart, clear head, steady hand, in gentleness, holiness, and honest love, when we are telling the truth, and when God's showing his power, when we're doing our best setting things right, when we're praised, and when we're blamed, slandered, and honored. True to our word, though distrusted. Ignored by the word, world, but recognized by God. Terrifically alive, though rumored to be dead. Beaten within an inch of our lives, but refusing to die. Immersed in tears, yet always filled with deep joy. Living on handouts, yet enriching many having nothing, yet having it all. And he says this, to these people who feel so confined and so restricted, so burdened, dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life we didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can with great affection. Open your lives. Live openly and expansively. Let me, let me show you how that works. Just sitting at the table in the realm of the dead and each person around you 
And, and let's just take it real simple. God gives these Ten Commandments in, in relation to how you're going to relate to Him and how you're going to relate to other people. And He says, don't have other gods. And He says things like, don't commit adultery. And he says things like, don't give false testimony or lie. And if you just kind of break it down and you just look at some of those things, the freedom that that gives, I know to, to us it's like, well, that's restricting, that's confining, but, but listen, if you don't lie, you don't spend your life looking back over your shoulder wondering if it's ever going to be found out and trying to remember who you told what to. And, and if you don't have relationships outside, there's, there's one simple person you're giving your heart to. And you're not trying to cover up your tracks and hide things. There is this freedom that it gives you. This wide open and expansive life. Could you imagine... If every single person in this auditorium just said, okay, today I'm going to start over. Today I'm going to give up my seat at this table and I'm going to move to the table of Lady Wisdom. Because the food here, as good as it is, it's stolen. And I'm going to come over to this table and I'm going to have a seat and I'm going to feast on this food that's God's Word. And I'm going to live on it. I'm going to allow it to give breath to my life. And I'm going to start living like it. I'm not going to get caught up in the game. And I'm going to stop lying and having to worry about watching my back. And I'm going to start, stop coveting and worrying about all the stuff that I don't have and just enjoy the blessing of what I do have. And I'm not going to keep chasing these endless these endless prizes that promise so much and they just simply lead to death. And here's the beautiful thing. Is that invitation is given to every single person on the face of this earth. And especially to you. And so this morning as we end, let me end with these words not to the Corinthian church, but to our church. Dear, dear Shiloh family, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can with, and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. What a beautiful invitation to leave the table that's so appealing and promises so much. It simply leaves you in the realm of the dead. And come to this table. This food is beautiful and delicate and gives life and nourishment to your soul. And for those of you who are suffocating 
and weighed down and burdened. It's simply you choose today to walk out of death and into life. It doesn't say it's going to be easy. It doesn't say there's not going to be hardships along the way. It doesn't say that that it's just a one or two step process. But it's a journey only you can decide to make. And I would invite you today, whatever it is, financially or forgiveness, relationally, that today you make the decision to leave death behind and find life in Jesus. Father, today, um, Father, everything around us seems so tempting and so seductive. And we know that at the end of that journey, there is life. And Father, yet every time we find ourselves there, we think, how did we end up here again? So, Father, today, with all my brothers and sisters, may we once and, and finally leave death behind. And may we find life in Jesus, your Son, and in your Word that gives life and hope and healing to all. God, we love you. We thank you for saving us, for reaching down into that pit and, and pulling us out and setting our feet on solid ground. And Father, I pray that today no one will leave this place in that pit alone. That they will have someone to walk beside them and help them as they come out and make the decision to leave death behind. Father, we trust in Jesus, and in his name alone, we find the power to save. We pray all this in his name. Amen.